love crispy turkey. Cornbread. Cranberry sauce. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pancakes. Mmm. In America, our Thanksgiving celebration includes so many delicious foods. And it's a special time because we all pause for a day to be thankful for everything that we have. Our families, our homes, toys, our jobs, all are special gifts to us. At the first feast that became Thanksgiving, a group of pilgrims from England and natives from America celebrated their harvest and their survival. Their journey, which culminated in this day, had involved danger and hardship, getting thrown into jail and captivity, escaping from people who oppressed them, and losing many of their family members. Did these things happen to the Native Americans or the pilgrims? Well, both. Their stories are surprisingly similar and interwoven. Today we will hear of the bravery of one Native American man and a group of English wanderers who refused to give up in the face of persecution, betrayal, and loss. Hi, I'm your host Heidi Illion and this is Brilliant Mornings. Join us as we ignite a passion for discovering history. This season we explore holidays in the United States, finding the stories of the people behind them. We focus on the poetry and narratives, written or oral, behind the great men and women of the past and use their ideas to equip and inspire us today. On this mini-series about North American Indigenous people, we will discover some of the fascinating tribes that lived across what is now the United States. We will find out about how they lived and the stories they told their children. We'll see how their values of bravery, respect, thankfulness, and spirituality played out in their lives. Join us as detectives and archaeologists as we discover the past of the Native American. The year was 1603. The country, England. The problem? Many people felt they could not worship God freely because the king of England, James I, insisted that he was also the leader of the Church of England. He and the helpers he appointed, called bishops, decided how all the Christians in the land should practice their faith. A group of Puritans did not agree that a king should lead churches. They wanted each church to be able to choose their own leaders. They wanted to decide how to worship, when to baptize, and how to live out their faith. King James tried to be reasonable. I hear you Puritans are not very happy with our church traditions. He said, how about we have a little debate? You can tell me all the things you'd like to change and I'll see if I agree. The debate was set to go, but it was suddenly canceled due to the plague. Yep, a plague. You may have heard of such a thing. When a country cancels everything because of a virus that becomes a pandemic, yeah, not fun. So anyway, they had to wait a year until 1604 when the virus was gone to finally hold this debate. The Puritans explained their ideas, but King James said no way to getting rid of the bishops and letting people run their own churches. But he did make some changes that they asked for and agreed to translate the Bible into English. This is where the famous King James version of the Bible came from. Some Puritans accepted that King James and the bishops would lead every church in England. Others did not. Well, That's because many became enlightened by the word of God, and had their ignorance and sins discovered unto them, and began by his grace to reform their lives. Oh, William Bradford, where did you come from? Well, welcome to the podcast. You were one of the pilgrims and eventually became their governor. Thank you for sharing parts of your diary with us. So help us understand, 
You're saying that as these people read their Bibles, their lives were changed? Well, that sounds good. Why was that a problem? Isn't this what the bishops wanted? The bishops? Their offices and callings, courts and canons were unlawful and anti-Christian. Being such, have no warrant in the word of God. Okay, so you're saying they were making up a lot of rules and traditions that were not in the Bible and telling people that they had to follow them? I get it. So the Puritans started holding their own churches. And I heard others kind of looked at them strangely. Was this a reason to leave the country, though, like they did? But after these things, they could not long continue in any peaceable condition, but were hunted and persecuted on every side. Some were taken and clapped up in prison. Others had their houses beset and watched night and day, and hardly escaped their hands. And the most were fain to fly and leave their houses and habitations and the means of their livelihood. Hold on. You're saying that the Puritans were sent to prison because they didn't want to go to the king's church? They had to leave their houses and jobs? That's a little scary. No wonder they began a search for a boat that would help them escape from England. About this time, a young man from a faraway land was sailing on a ship to England, also thinking about escape. Just like the Puritans, he had lost much. In fact, he lost his home, family, and his freedom when he was captured by English explorers who pretended to be friends. They had lured this young man and his friends onto their boat and then betrayed them. The English captain thought King James I would like to see what a Native American looked like, so he proudly brought captives from the New World back to England. Tisquantum was one of these men, coming from the Patuxet tribe, which lived in the land that we now call Massachusetts. As he sat in his captor's ship, Tisquantum could just picture the delicious taste of fresh fish he used to catch as he tried to eat the disgusting old food here on the ship. He no doubt pictured the beautiful wooded land where his mother cried for him and vowed he would return. The strange city he stepped into once the ship anchored in England astonished his quantum. He had never seen land completely covered in such tall, permanent buildings made of what looked like hard stone. He'd never witnessed so many people dressed in clothes that covered their bodies, jibber-jabbering in their strange language of English. Tisquantum was certainly not shy. He smiled to himself as he looked at the busy London streets. I'll learn this language. I'll meet important people and I'll get out of England, he promised himself. Getting out of England was not so easy for the Puritan group I've just told you about. The year was now 1608. They had found a boat, and its captain had promised to take them to the new country of Holland, where they heard people could practice their religion freely. They would not be in danger anymore. They packed all of their most important possessions and hurried onto the boat at the time agreed upon. But as soon as all of the people had gotten onto the boat and loaded everything they owned onto it, the captain betrayed them. He stole their belongings and money and sent them back to England where they were put in jail. The Puritans finally did arrive in Holland, but it took many boat rides. The women and children getting separated from the men, the men almost dying in a storm while on the boat. You get the idea, a nightmare of a trip. But the reward was freedom. 
In Holland, the Puritans lived safely and gathered to meet for church. For almost 12 years, the group lived there, working very hard, staying honest, and winning the trust of the Dutch people. Tisquantum also accomplished his goal. He had learned enough English so that captains valued him now that he could translate between English and Native American languages. He was able to return to his beloved homeland, maybe even aboard the ship of Captain John Smith. Tears no doubt filled his eyes as he caught sight of his country, the boat approaching among the giant waves. I'm home, mother, he whispered. Now he would be able to live with a wife and children in peace and safety. But alas, the peaceful lives of Tusquantum and the pilgrims in Holland were about to come to an end. A greedy man named Captain Hunt tricked a group of Native Americans again, and Tusquantum was one of them. Tusquantum screamed viciously at the greedy captain. I trusted you. You told us you wanted to buy beaver fur. And now to make extra money, you turn to the evil business of selling people. Trembling with anger, he vowed that no one could ever be trusted again as the ship made its way to Spain where Captain Hunt would try to sell the Native Americans. But Tisquantum never gave up seeking freedom. Helped by monks in Spain, he escaped to England and there made the acquaintance of some ship captains looking to return to his homeland. My friend, said a Captain Dermer to Tisquantum one day, my New England trading company would love to take you with us when we sail back to your land. Your people are actually um, very angry with Europeans because of the terrible thing they did by capturing you and others. But let's put those terrible things in the past. Maybe we could help each other. You can ask them to trust us and trade beaver fur with us, and I will in turn take care of you and bring you back home. Tisquantum agreed, swelling with pride. He had done it. He had escaped and won the trust of an English captain. He would again return home to his beloved family. While the Spanish monks that freed Tisquantum had pure enough motives, the Spanish army threatened the pilgrims in Holland. Spain and Holland had enjoyed peace because of a 12-year truce. A truce is when two enemies promise not to fight for a certain amount of time. However, that peaceful truce came to an end and now the Puritans feared that Spain would attack their home in Holland. Perhaps they should leave. Their lives were very difficult here, although they were not persecuted and many of the Puritans had become ill from the difficult work they did to survive. They had heard about a place across the Atlantic Ocean a place where they might actually be free to practice their faith. It was called America. They knew the long journey to America and a ship would be difficult. And they had heard about the indigenous people that lived in this land, how mean, scary, and violent they were. Europeans called them savages. What would they do if they had to meet one? Tusquantum breathed in the fresh sea air and bathed in the golden sun on the deck as their ship neared the coast which he called home. He pictured the faces of his family members and his skin tingled as he pictured embracing them. How big was his son now? 
Had he learned to fish from other men? How would his wife receive him? He rehearsed in his mind the speech he would give his people, trying to convince them to trade with his friend Captain Dermer again. But as he and some sailors jumped into a smaller boat to row to land, Tisquantum grew cold from his head to his feet. Something did not feel right. The land before them looked too quiet, too empty. Where were the people? The boats reached land and Tisquantum jumped onto his familiar beach. He and his team searched the area and found only empty homes. They learned that the entire area had suffered from some type of plague, which most likely came from the Europeans. His entire village had been wiped out. Tisquantum would be the last member of the Patuxet tribe. Onward, cried the captain of a merchant ship called the Mayflower. 102 passengers squeezed together on the creaking ship, among them about 40 pilgrims who sought a new life of religious freedom in America. Already many of their plans had not worked out. They had sought to bring along a second boat, but because it was leaking, they were forced to return the boat and many of the people aboard it back to England. Now they were starting their journey later than expected. September 6, 1620, just at the time of year when storms were the worst Praying for safety, the Mayflower passengers endured a horribly uncomfortable ride, most very seasick and unable to keep down food. During one especially violent storm, a young man named John Howland climbed out from the dark rooms where the passengers were throwing up and moaning in misery. If I could just get a breath of fresh air, he whispered to himself, trying not to breathe in the unbearable smells below deck. A gust of wind hit his face and he breathed deeply. Finally, clean air. At this moment, the Mayflower lurched forward on an abnormally giant wave and John lost his footing. Slipping on the wet floor, he fell into the raging ocean. John thought fast and caught onto a rope which dangled in the air. He gripped it with all of his might, shouting for help. The crew managed to pull him back up onto the deck in what they certainly considered a miracle. John's life was saved. Another difficult but joyous event happened upon the Mayflower. A baby was born. His birth was very difficult in the pit of a ship that constantly jostled back and forth on the stormy waters. But the heroic mother, Elizabeth Hopkins, smiled in joy as she clung to her son, Oceanus. She whispered his name, because you were born on the Atlantic Ocean. After 66 miserable days aboard the Mayflower, the pilgrims finally reached the shores of America on November 21st. They were supposed to land in Virginia, but the storms had forced them to sail much farther north. This meant they would be in a place with no government and no one in charge. The men on board the ship realized they needed to make rules for everyone to follow so that certain passengers would not treat the others badly. They wrote down these rules and promised to follow them and treat everyone fairly by signing their names on the document. This agreement was later called the Mayflower Compact. This was the first time that Englishmen created their own type of government in America.
The pilgrims stood on the ship's deck, gazing at the land and picturing the homes they would build and all the joyful lives they would live here. But the winter winds whipped around them, signaling that their first months in America would not be easy. For five months, the pilgrims stayed aboard their ship while they built homes on the land. They encountered several Native Americans, but because Europeans had been dishonest before, they did not trust these white men and even attacked them with bows and arrows, although no one was killed. The pilgrims did not have enough food that winter. They were cold, hungry, and many fell sick. Half of the pilgrims died that first winter in America. Incredibly, they did not give up their idea to build a settlement here. In March of 1621, life would take a turn for the better. As the pilgrims went about mending, cooking, building, and trying to plant seeds, a bold Native American marched into their village called the Plymouth Settlement. They were shocked to hear him speak in English. This man's name was Somerset, and he welcomed them and asked for them to give him beer. Later, he returned to Plymouth with a friend. This friend spoke English well. He said he had traveled by ship to Spain, received an education with monks, and learned English when he moved to England. Then he returned to America as an interpreter. He knew what it was like to lose family members and travel through stormy oceans. He understood well the hardships of the pilgrims, and he also knew how to help them. Do you know this man's name? Yes, he was Tisquantum, who now lived with the Wampanoag tribe. The pilgrims called him Squanto. As we know, Tisquantum had been betrayed by the Englishmen many times. On the one hand, he thought he should not trust them. But perhaps if he helped the pilgrims and translated between them and the surrounding native tribes, he would earn a place of control and safety. As Tisquantum thought, he stared, stone-faced, looking toward the ocean. I like to imagine that perhaps he connected with one of the men who had experienced grief as he had. Perhaps someone like John Howland came to stand next to him and had the following conversation. I know you've lost your family. I'm here without my parents and siblings as well, but I know I'm not alone. When I fell into that ocean, by miracle, I was saved, and these good men did everything they could to rescue me. Perhaps the young man reminded Tisquantum of his own son, who had fallen out of a canoe while trying to fish one day. His eyes looked at John with understanding and respect. We are not alone, he repeated. Tisquantum came to live with the settlers in Plymouth. He showed the pilgrims how to build better homes and find fish. He was such a skilled fisherman that he could wade into the water and catch eels without any tools, using only his hands. He showed them how to bury fish in the dirt along with their corn. This would help the corn to have nutrients and grow strong. The pilgrims planted 20 acres of corn and 6 acres of barley and peas. When a nearby chief called Massasoit came to the pilgrims for a visit, Tisquantum translated between them and helped the leaders make a peace agreement. They promised not to hurt each other and to also defend each other from enemies. After spending such a great deal of time with the pilgrims, Tisquantum could see that they were different from those white men that traveled to America only to get rich. These Puritans kept their word. They rescued him when he was captured by an enemy Native American tribe. They even refused to have revenge on the tribe that first attacked them. He knew that he could trust them. 
What a joyful harvest the pilgrims in Squanto enjoyed that fall. The corn and barley had grown beautifully. The people would not be hungry that winter. The settlers hunted birds such as turkeys and feasted together. King Massasoit brought 90 men and five deer and held a celebration with the pilgrims for three days, eating abundant food, drinking, and entertaining each other. This feast is the one the Americans call the first Thanksgiving. The pilgrims, joining a tradition of thankfulness among the Native Americans, thanked God for their food and peace with their neighbors. During the next year, Squanto would not always prove trustworthy, but his friendship and instruction on life in America saved the Plymouth Colony, and he remained with them until he died in 1622. Governor Bradford called to Squantum a special instrument sent by God for their good beyond their expectations. Life brings challenges and twists and turns, losses and hardships, but we can be thankful for the type of friendships that give life. Let's remember to take time today and every day to practice thankfulness. Be sure to view the podcast notes for activity ideas. This recording is the exclusive property of Heidi Illion. Intro and outro music are by Matt Graycliffe. Special guests today are Arabella, Micah, and Dr. Gardner, who played the part of William Bradford.